For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is In the Trenches, where I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and E.J. Wilson. Saturday, it's hard to put it into words, but Saturday was wild. North Carolina escaped Boone with a 63-61 to win over App State in a game that had a little bit of everything ex- except for defense. EJ, I feel like you're going to be the star of this podcast, so let's get right into it. What were your thoughts? Um, I think I, I guess I'll start off with a little bit of the positive, um, which is, is it actually a positive? The positive is really the play that we've kind of been seeing out of Kimon Rucker. The negative of that is why aren't we seeing more of this guy? Why isn't this guy a part of the starting lineup? I mean, he, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I was taking notes as I was watching the game and I remember on one play, I mean, he set the edge so well on that stretch play that had been killing us all game that it's like, I mean, why, why isn't, why aren't we seeing more of this guy? He, he, he's, he's playing this play and playing the technique of the edge player, defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever you want to call it. He's playing it to a T, and, and we're being productive as a defense when he's out there. Uh, other than that, that's probably the, the most positive thing I have to say. Uh, other than that, it, it it really was just a show of a lack of discipline. Um, we're, we're, I feel like you can just take some of our old pods from a couple of years ago and insert some of the things that we were saying about the defense then because they're going to be some of the same things that I'm going to say today. Bad angles, missed tackles, uh, lack of physicality, uh, lack of assignment. I mean, you got guys running free in the secondary. You have uh, you, you just have the, the running plays that we were so excited about stopping last week. And now you see a program that really has a, a, a high caliber of talent and a, a team that really puts an emphasis on the run. And you see how that kind of turned out. I mean, we, we didn't, you won't hear me say that we were very impressive against the run today, but I mean, at the end of the day, we came out with the win. Um, I think that we got very lucky in a lot of spots. Um, we also shot ourselves in the foot on a lot of plays, too. I mean, the lack of discipline that we showed on a couple of third and long plays, um, they're back-to-back on the same drive. is just – it's just it, – I, I don't know what to say. I mean, like I said before we came on, I'm kind of flabbergasted, and I don't really know how to be as PC and as entertaining to describe what I saw on that field yesterday other than we lucked up and we won a game. So let's go ahead and talk about what we saw so we can move on and hopefully see a better showing against uh, our next opponent, man. Yeah, against Florida AM, we left that game wondering maybe maybe Carolina has a, a run defense. And that mm-hmm. was answered Saturday to a, a resounding no with App State rushing 6.7 yards per carry, kind of mm-hmm. getting whatever they wanted. Mike, a lot more positive coming from you, I'm assuming, since you're talking about the offense more, but what were your thoughts watching that game? I mean, we <clears throat> we scored 63 points. So like, I'm nitpicking. Um, my my biggest gripe, and I guess this is a nod to the defense, is just like I said all year last year, like, we got to score 60 points to beat people. It's not going to happen. And you're going to do it with a freshman quarterback? Like, it's not going to happen. I don't care how good Drake May looks. I mean, that kid's out there, you know, throwing his body around. At some point, it's going to catch up to him. College football is going to catch up to him. You know, we got Georgia State, who can play, coming up. And then we got Notre Dame, who can definitely play. And, I mean, anybody watch that game last night? Like, Notre Dame and Ohio State, that was – Notre Dame can play, dude. And then we got Virginia Tech, and we got Miami after that. I mean, 
we got to clean a lot of stuff up offensively and defensively if we're not going to go, you know, if we're not going to be, I'm, I'm assuming we beat Georgia State. I don't want to make too bold of an assumption there. <laughs> but, I mean, we might be three and three going into week seven. So, you know, I just, I just want to make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page that, like, everything's not perfect. You know, we score 63 points and we don't look great on the offensive side of the ball in some areas. Um, predominantly, you know, what I, what I thought was um, – I thought we were improving in, which was gap runs, but I still saw a lot of issues in backside penetration when we were running our gap scheme. So we ran a lot of power. You saw a lot of pulling guards, you know, powers, counters, that sort of thing. We ran a lot of that. And oftentimes when those plays got blown up, it was blown up by somebody in the middle coming off the backside. Again, either off the back block off of, off of the back, off a backside seal. Um, it wasn't really so much coming off a front side double team. It wasn't really coming off of, um, wasn't coming from the second level. It was defensive linemen that were making the play or somebody slicing through a gap that should have been taken by somebody. Um, you know, it should have been covered by an offensive lineman. So I'm a little concerned that fundamentally we're missing something in our gap schemes. And if they're going to be a staple of our offense and you know, a staple of our running game, we got to get that cleaned up because it's going to end up biting us real bad against a really good defense. Uh, pass protection, I know we gave up some sacks, but, you know, we also were on the field a ton. Um, you know, a lot of that was, was blitz pickup. It wasn't a ton of just getting whipped um, in our one-on-one -on -one assignments. It was, you know, blitz pickup. It was, um, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, in twist, guys, their hips getting picked. You know, same old, same old. But I think for as many times as we threw the ball and as many times as we dropped back, I thought overall, despite whatever it was, three or four sacks, whatever they gave up after giving up none against FAMU, I thought overall it was, it was a decent showing considering the volume of, of dropbacks we had in that game. So I'm not super concerned about pass protection. That's all stuff that can get cleaned up. It's the run game and specifically the gap scheme plays that I have an issue with right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you that against a, a team like Notre Dame's uh, of Notre Dame's caliber, this is an offense that it, it's gonna it's gonna struggle against that better competition unless they start figuring things out. And I think a team like Notre Dame can expose you where a team like Florida A and M, a team like App State, even even a Georgia State is gonna struggle in that regard. So I think the first real test for the offense will probably be that Notre Dame game when when we kind of know what Carolina has moving forward. Um, but I. I also agreed with your point that it's nonsensical that this offense needed to score 63 points to ex escape with a win. Um, Positivity pod, they can do it apparently, you know, or they can yeah. score 50, 56 points because Bryson Nesbitt, Nesbitt was responsible yeah. for one of them. I, um, I want, I want to defend Bryson Nesbitt for a second. The only way you lose that game is if he returns that. But in the moment when when all three of those guys get decleated yep. and you get the ball and you look ahead of you and there's nothing but space, I'm I'm cribbing that too. Yeah. I'm taking that, I'm scoring, I'm celebrating, and then I'm coming back to the sideline and saying defense need need one stop. <laughs> need need you to not you take that risk to make teaching tape like that, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's also basically no time on the clock either. So it's like what what how much damage can they really do in this tiny amount of time? And with the Have defense, you seen our defense, yes, yeah. with the defense, the answer is a lot. <laughs> but like that's something that's hard to process when you're running into the end zone. Like, oh wow, there's there's 30 seconds left. App State has what one timeout, but our defense can't stop anything right now. Uh, and I'll tell you, tell you who was watching that game with his feet kicked up and grinning. It's Jay Bateman. Yeah, 
EJ, yeah. <laughs> EJ, a lot of Carolina fans are stupefied after what happened in Kid Brewer Stadium. The defense somehow worse than last year. How, how do you begin to describe what we're seeing on this field where, where Carolina's checking in right now at hundred and somewhere in the hundred and tens when it comes to total defense? Oh, man, there are a laundry list of things. I mean, one, the penalties. Let's talk about the penalties. I mean, you, you want to talk about a group shooting themselves in the foot. Um, I have a note right here. I think it was the 10th drive of the game. Uh, going into that drive, the score was 49 to 35. We're playing great defense. I mean, honestly, we're, we're coming off, I think, um, the first drive of the second half and the second drive of the second half defensively were probably the best two drives we put together all game. So we're still feeding off some of that momentum. We get them into a third and long. Late hit on the quarterback, give them a first down. The very next third and 10, pass interference on Tony Grimes, which was questionable because, questionable. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, one of, I'm, I'm a part of the group that believes that, that, that Noah Taylor did get a piece of that ball. Um, either way, I mean, we put ourselves in a position for that to even be called. So I think that's a bigger issue. So penalties really kind of killed us. I mean, too, so many pass interferences, so, so, so many mistakes that, that are easily, easily avoidable. Second, the play action pass was just a thorn in our side yesterday. They had a couple of big gains on the play action pass. They saw it work. Next thing you know, their two touchdowns, two of their many touchdowns were off of play action passes. That's because that we we really weren't doing anything with the run. They were their offensive line knew that they were undersized. They knew that Raver Hasick, which he did yesterday, was going to be throwing their offensive line all around the field, which ended up happening. How do you neutralize a defensive line that's that's obviously stronger than you? You 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 make them run side to side and, and you make them be disciplined. You make their linebackers play disciplined football and, and you make them do what they have to do. And that's kind of what we saw yesterday. I mean, we, we saw the the offensive linemen, and those guys are 280 pounds, so they're taking off and they're running sideways and our and our defensive line are in and it's making those bad steps that you take if you take one false step if this guy's running and taking off then you're already reaching you're already beat so we're doing things to overcompensate for that uh one play where i saw uh where they had the reverse play where noah taylor was running out to the sideline and he chose to go under the block like that that's infuriating to see that's stuff that they teach in high school that you're not supposed to do your job as an edge player is to set that edge so you have to do whatever you have to do to fight over the top of that tight end so there are just a lot of things that i i see that can be fixed but overall i mean when you look at the, the talent that we have on that defense and when we do play the run how well we do play it but when the quick pass is always going to be there when the play action pass is always going to be there when a team can just get the ball on the edge of our defense and know they're going to have success it, it, it's really hard to have any integrity to that defense so i mean I, I i can go on and on about some of the issues that we're seeing but i'll say the thing that's most frustrating for me is that we're still seeing that we've we've seen through now two defensive coordinators we've seen through two coaching staffs is our inability to tackle consistently you think about early on in the game where cam kelly makes an unbelievable play he 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 has his assignment he goes out to make the tackle but just doesn't finish next thing you know the tight end doesn't touch the ground he's running for another 15 to 20 yards like when i tell you that that all the bad luck in the world happened to us uh yesterday when you say that we as 
escaped with the win. We really did escape with the win. If if we play that game five more times, I, I, I'm I'm not sure we win any more of them. If the situation is exactly like it was yesterday, so um, I, I do think that uh, Coach Baton's probably somewhere right now, just with, with a little twinkle in his eye, saying that, "Hey guys, it wasn't necessarily the X's and O's that were the problem because Coach Chiswick has definitely come in and he's definitely simplified things for these guys." Um, and I'll say one, another thing that really bothered me is that I noticed early on in the game um well something that initially bothered me early on in the game when they were adjusting and shifting the line shifting their uh their personnel maybe taking that um that bunch that they had moving into the uh, other side of the line of scrimmage we weren't as we weren't adjusting as well and they always were getting chunk yards on those plays seven eight ten yards but one thing that we didn't see last year that we are seeing now is these adjustments that are being made on the fly the adjustments that are being made at halftime it, like I said, it's just I don't think the X's and O's are the problem. I think that we just are making some some mental mistakes. We're making some discipline mistakes that no coaching staff or or no amount of film study is going to fix that. You just have to want want to fix that. So, and I, that, I think that's what's the most discouraging of all. If these guys were if they were out here playing playing their hearts out, playing disciplined football, and they were just in bad position schematically, I think it'll be a little bit more encouraging to think that that some of this could be changed, but. I just feel like we've been talking about the same thing for this defense uh, for, for so long. I mean, I actually got PTSD when Mike said that the offense has to score 60 points because this is the third season in a row that we said that. So it's just more of the same, but this time it's a little bit worse because, well, I mean, the, the talent that we have out there, there's no reason why we shouldn't be, uh, why our defense, I expected them to be a dominant unit, but right now they don't even look serviceable. And I, and I hate to be that harsh, but I mean, it, it is what it is. Positivity pod. Exactly. LOL. <laughs> That's as positive well, I, as I, I can make I, it. I do want to make this point. And I said this last year, I noticed it about Des Evans and I, and I saw it again yesterday. That kid, whether he's making plays or not, whether, I mean, I don't know that in terms of what, what's going on in film study and, and what's, you know, the day after the game, whether he's getting chewed for missed assignments and whatnot. But what I do know is that, He's got something he can't teach, and that's effort. Mm-hmm. Des Evans plays really hard. Mm-hmm. He's chasing down plays. He's, he's, he's trying to stand guys up and stalemate them at the line of scrimmage. He's trying to do the right thing. I mean, he never. I don't see Des Evans pl- taking plays off. Like he's. I want to go ahead and give him some credit. To the extent any of this messaging gets back to any players, you know. Oh, yeah. EJ, you know, to VIP, you know, I mean, we hear the stuff in the locker room. I want people to know that I think, I think Des Evans plays – really really hard and that's something that should be emulated by the rest of that team and i think it is i mean you got guys like came on rucker play real hard i think noah taylor plays really hard too i mean whether mm-hmm. he's making mistakes or not yeah i don't think it's an effort issue exactly. um which is something you can't teach across the board but one guy that definitely i mean came on rucker always stands out to me mm-hmm. but one guy that continues to stand out from last season and into this season and particularly yesterday is des evans i saw him i saw him chase a play down from the opposite side of the field to the other sideline and make the tackle it might have actually been that play the tight end broke where he broke the tackle. Mm-hmm. It may have been that play, um, but I saw Dez Evans making that play 25 yards down the field. And for a defensive end outside linebacker type that's down on the line of scrimmage coming opposite field to make that play. I think that says a lot about his character and who he is. Oh, definitely. And one thing that I have to say, and I've had a note to mention this in the last couple pods, him with his hand in the dirt has been a big difference in his play from last season. He's bigger too. Seen. He put on some size. Oh, without a doubt. And and I I think more so he was, I mean, he this is naturally who he, who he was going to become. I think that he was trying to maybe save, save off some of that weight and change some of his technique because he was playing more of a stand-up defensive end. But now he's playing more of that position where he's naturally played in, um, in high school. Now he's playing a lot more downhill 
feel. There's not that hesitation step or thinking too much because he's standing up. He knows that his job is to set the edge. His job is to, to make effort plays. He's not thinking as much. He looks like that guy that was one of the top players in the country now. I mean, we saw flashes of it last year, but like you said, it looks like he was confused and overthinking it sometimes. And now it definitely seems like he's starting to put it together. So, I mean, I do think that he's going to be one of the leaders on that defense. And honestly, like you said, I think with him and uh, Kimon Rucker on the edges, with Noah Taylor coming in on some pass rush situations, I-, I do think that that could be an answer to some of the issues that we're having out on the edge because those guys are really, really can be bookends for us. But definitely hats off to Dez and how he's kind of taken his game and his, uh, phys- his physical stature and improved it uh, to be a better player this year. Yeah, for the Carolina defense, it was 16 missed tackles, three from Cedric Gray, three from Cam Kelly, two for Javari Ritzy, two for Geo Biggers. Uh, somebody like Ra Ra Dilworth comes in, doesn't make a tackle, but misses that the the tackle on App State's first touchdown. Um, so a lot of, a lot to be cleaned up from the Carolina defensive um, perspective. Ra Ra made some plays on special teams, though. Should give yeah. him that. Yeah. Given that, um, but f- from an offensive perspective, what is it about 70% of offense in football is hoping to figure out that you have a quarterback. It, it seems like North Carolina has a quarterback yeah. in Drake may Mike, he plays really well against Florida A&M, but in his first road start, he goes into a hostile environment and he delivers again, complete 68.6% of his passes, 352 passing yards, five total touchdowns. Carries the team to a win when all hope looked dead and gone pretty early in that game. How do you begin to put into words what we're seeing from May? I mean, I said yesterday in a private text message to somebody that Carolina should self-impose a death penalty and Drake May should transfer. <laughs> I mean, that's how well the kid was playing. I mean, it's I, and I'm, I say that completely joking. I love my program. Please, Drake, stay. Don't go anywhere. Um, he's he's playing he's playing great. I mean, I don't know that he's. I don't know that he's Sam Howell 2.0, but I'll tell you what, he sure does look poised. Um, he looks extremely mature out there. It didn't look like the moment was too big for him. I mean, being a North Carolina kid, being a Charlotte kid, you know, App State and Carolina each have a pretty big uh, fan base and alumni contingent, you know, in the area in which he grew up. So, you know, this, the hype around this game, I don't think was lost on him and it didn't look like it affected him in a negative way. It may have, in fact, helped him um, play kind of out of his mind for the, for that game. I mean, he's doing a good job to take care of the ball. We saw that one fumble. Um, I think that's you know, he's trying to make a play, and he did make a play. Um, he just he's got to learn how to hang on to the ball there. That's just ball security is something you learn through taking hits and you know and and losing the football. I mean, look at Tiki Barber. He's the he's the case study for how to fix ball security issues. Um, sometimes you don't really understand how to properly carry a football how to protect it in traffic until, you know, you got live bullets coming and you actually drop a couple. So I'm not too concerned about that lost fumble, um, but in terms of interceptions and protecting the ball and knowing where to go with the ball, he clearly knows what he's doing. Now we've had the, the one thing that did keep going through my mind is Carolina's offense, Phil Longo's offense is a um, maybe great for young quarterbacks because one of the knocks on it, which ends up being a benefit for a young player is that the reads aren't super complicated. That's one of the things you hear from scouts. It's one of the things you hear kind of rumblings under, you know, whether they fixed it or not. But one of the complaints about, I know Sam Howell in the draft process was that, you know, a lot of scouts believed he had one read. And when that read wasn't there, he just had to bail. Um, And that's how that offense was designed. That's actually beneficial for a guy like Drake, a young quarterback coming in, because 
you know, he, if he makes that read and then he teaches himself what maybe a secondary read is, we have enough athletes that are good enough to get open and Longo's scheme gets, gets guys open. Um, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, you'll get open. You're, you're handling your assignment. You'll be open. So it actually lends to, it creates a, it creates, a, it's a system where a young quarterback like Drake can be very successful very quickly, which is what we're seeing. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's going to be great moving forward as we further complicate the offense. We add some wrinkles in. I think those are things he'll be able to handle if nothing else, because he's got the confidence for it. But I, I agree with you. I don't think the moment was too big for him. It's highly encouraging that we got a quarterback, um, you know, that, that understands for the most part, ball security, um, particularly when throwing the football, um, but can also just take off and make plays with his legs. I mean, he's sneaky, fast and deceptive, you know, when he's, when he takes off running and that's a huge benefit. Having that dual threat is a huge benefit for us, particularly in this offense. And as again, he's still a new quarterback. We're breaking in a new quarterback. We're breaking in some new running backs, some new receivers, uh, you know, a patchwork, not a patchwork offensive line, but a, a rel, you know, a new offensive line with some, you know, some guys like awesome Richards who have been there. Um, but you know, several new players along that offensive line, it's, it's a revamped offense as we're breaking that in having a guy who can scramble and make plays with his legs to buy time and to buy some breathing room and get first downs and keep drives going. I think that's, that's, that's exceptional for, you know, where he is in his career at this point, you know, yeah, he started or he played in a couple games as a true freshman when, you know, without burning his red shirt, um, which gave him some game experience, but there's nothing like being the full-time starter. So this is really like all brand new for him. Um, and it's really encouraging to see that he's playing well. App State is a good team. I've said this before. They're a great program. Um, if my son got an offer to play at App State, I mean, that's the kind of place I'd be perfectly happy him going to play. They've always done things the right way. They put guys in the NFL. Um, they've been successful for a long time. They really are the, the, the standard bearer in North Carolina um, for the past 20 years. And, um, you know, he, he, we went out, we got a win against a really good program and Drake played really well. And I thought the offense on the whole, you know, you score 56 points, you're doing something right. Played well against a good program, Sunbelt or not. Yeah. Following Sam Howell and trying to live up to the shoes that he had in, in Chapel Hill was always going to be a, a seemingly tough task, but, but may looks like he's more than up for the challenge. And I think where he really differentiates himself from where like Sam was through through two games is his ability to see the field and kind of distribute the ball a lot more evenly than somebody like Sam. Uh, he does Sam, hit a lot of targets and that's why like I don't yeah. want the I don't want the criticism that I've heard. I'm not saying that I share this criticism, but just through the draft process with Sam, those are criticisms I heard of Longo's offense. I think you're exactly right. The ball distribution would not make you believe that there is one single read. And when that reads out there, you bail. Like it looks like, I mean, Drake knows where his reads are and he's getting the ball to different, to different places, particularly tight ends, which is something we talked about last week. Um, tight ends, you know, are going to continue, I think, to be a big part of this offense. And that's very beneficial for a young quarterback. Yeah. And how much of that is Drake may being, you know, six, four compared to Sam Howell, who's, yeah. who's listed at a, probably six, one, but probably not checking in at six, one. Um, but EJ, back to the defense. I, I want to, with how bad they started and how bad they finished, uh -huh. lost in the game was the UNC defense that held app scoreless for their final two possessions of the first half and then shut out the Mountaineers in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. app it's went incredible how it really was a tale of like quarters. It was the first quarter and the fourth quarter for both the offense and the defense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And then the very middle of the game was a totally different football game. App went about 31 minutes without scoring. Mm-hmm. Were there any redeeming qualities that you saw during that stretch that you thought, hey, maybe maybe the defense can build on this? Oh, oh yeah. We consistently set a different line of scrimmage through that period of the game. I mean, that's when I think Ray woke up. That's when I think Javari Ritzy woke up, Miles Murphy, and all those big guys we have in the middle who I honestly think can all be playing on Sunday one day. Those guys woke up. That's when you start to see a little bit more number 25 coming in, setting the edge. And as Mike mentioned, Des, Des Evans was able to – you were able to see some of the things he were doing doing more because everyone else was doing it as well. So, yeah, we definitely got after the quarterback a little little bit more we only have one sack to show for it but we definitely made him uncomfortable not as uncomfortable as you would think with him having 361 yards passing but with just looking at the 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 second and I'll say third quarters as a synopsis that's the defense that I thought we would be seeing all season the guys were flying around they were making plays um we had some really we had some really good stops right there. We had some poor tackling and some plays there as well, but it wasn't as consistent theme as we saw on some of those drives in our 40.4 quarter where we gave up probably two games worth of points. You started to see, I mean, you're seeing every back to back to back to penalties that were killing drives. You're seeing the missed tackles that were allowing a five-yard run to be an 11- to 12-yard run. We didn't see that in this period. Which kind of brings me back, yeah, that was a positive, but that still kind of comes back to a negative. We aren't starting fast, and we aren't finishing games. Against the App State, and and this is no disrespect to App State, I think everyone, all all three of us have a great deal of respect for App State, one for their reputation, as Mike said. I mean, that's a place where you want your kids to go because you know they're going to get a great education. You know they're going to play in a great football program, and if they're able, they're going to get a shot at the next level. So I'm not disparaging these guys' talent or anything else like that, but there's a reason why they're not a part of the ACC. And And when you're playing against a school like a Notre Dame, when you have to play against an NC State, I mean, even a Duke, a Wake Forest, I mean, Pitt, all these teams that we're seeing in the A- Miami, all these teams that are ranked that we have to see in the ACC, not starting fast and not finishing games is going to, it's not going to be 61 to 63. It's going to be 61 to 20 because these guys have athletes who are probably going to be first round draft picks. I mean, you, you look at the ACC's draft potential over the last few years, there is a lot of talent in the ACC. That talent's not the same type of talent as at FAMU. It's not the same type of talent that's at uh, App State. So, yes, the microcosm of the middle two quarters was good, but we didn't start well, we didn't finish well, and that translates to a very poor conference season when you're playing against some of the talent we are in the ACC. So that's as positive as I can be for the positivity pod today about our defense. (laughs) You know what I started thinking as we got into the third quarter and they only had 21 points on the board, and we had stalemated them at that point. Like, it looked like they were stifled. You know, they might not score again for the rest of the game. We were going to keep piling. I thought that was going to be like a 56-21 to game. That's Mm -hmm. that's where I thought we were going. And, like, they weren't going to score another point you know, in the second half. That's, that's where I thought that game was going to be. And the first thought I had was, here's Gene Chizik 2015 Ben Don't Break defense. We gave up 21 points quick, and then they figured it out, and, they, and then they held them scoreless long enough for the offense to catch up and then pass them. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that Ferrari of an offense that Phil Longo runs was finally able to get gassed up and to, and to catch up with them and pass them. Um, and I thought that's, we're seeing 2015 all over again, and maybe this will be the theme, you know, we're going to give up 14, 21, 28 points to teams that maybe, you know, we shouldn't be giving up that many points to, but that'll probably, you know, that'll be it. At some point we'll put the lid on each team, every game defensively, and then it's just going to be on the offense to go out and score points 
and make something happen just like 2015. And then the fourth quarter happened. So I don't know what we're getting with Gene Chizik's defense right now. Again, it's first year. I mean, he's got to, he's got to clean some stuff up, but you know, the players are all still there. It's not like we have an entire import of all new players and the new players we did get in, I would say added, you know, to the, to the wealth of talent that we have along with some guys that are really experienced. You got Ray Des, Rucker, Miles Murphy, these are guys that have all played. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they all have game experience. So Cedric Gray, I mean, a Cameron Kelly. I mean, he's Gio, got- Gio Biggers is he had some really good plays. I mean, the guy, the guy has definitely made it. He's one guy that I'll say has made a vast improvement since last year as well. I mean, I mean, I, I really was impressed with some of the plays he was able to make yesterday. I mean, a lot of the guys did things we we didn't want him to see. But as you mentioned, yeah, that experience that we have mixing with the new guys, I mean, it, it should be a recipe for success. I mean, Vip, watching, watching, I mean, EJ and I watch the trenches, right? You watch the outside. Tell me about Storm Duck. Like, what am I seeing from Storm Duck? Is this, is this who he always was? And he just showed flashes and then got hurt. So we just remembered the good about Storm Duck or like, what what was it? Cause I I mean, I saw he gives up a touchdown, you know, gets beat. Um, He's gotten beat. He got beat a couple of times against FAMU. I don't want to throw the guy under the bus because those are just a couple of plays. And I don't know that he's not locking dudes down every other play. And we're just noticing the bad kind of like you do with offensive linemen, right? Like you only, yeah. you only notice them when we give up a sack, you don't notice the 65 other plays where we had a guy completely locked down. Um, yeah. When, when, beat. when, when duck is healthy in like the 2019 early 2020 part of the schedule, I, I thought from what he was putting on the field, he's he was one of the best cover corners in in the conference. But I think what you're seeing is a guy that has had such a hard time staying in and out. He he misses parts of training camp. He misses parts of of the regular season last year where it's like it, it's hard, I think, for him to play consistently when when he's not out there. And it's hard for the coaches to kind of count on him when when he's not out there. And I don't think it's just a, a storm duck problem. I think it's a, a cornerback problem as a whole, where you have somebody like Tony Grimes, for example, he he's a, a five-star talent coming in. He's not he's playing a freak like a five- physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's a freak physically. He's and not so is storm duck. He's not he's playing like bigger. a five. I mean, he's a yeah. big, I mean, that dude looks like a linebacker out there. Yeah. When, when you have a quarterback like Chase Bryce, no disrespect to Chase Bryce, but he has zero fear throwing at UNC's cornerbacks. When Bryson Nesbitt returns that kick, everybody in that building was like, App State is scoring because they're going to go after UNC's corners. That's how I felt. Yeah, I felt the same thing. And it, it was something like the, the UNC corners, they, they just put no fear in quarterbacks. They put no fear in offenses. And I, I think it's, it's a problem that Carolina has to look at because it, it's like you mentioned, it's, it's not just Storm Duck. It's, it's Tony Grimes. It's Legend Cavasso's coming in and, and getting beat for 41 yards the first play he's out there. It's it's a problem from top to bottom in, in that cornerback room. Uh, EJ, you, you said the UNC defense didn't finish well. Mm-hmm. It's an understatement. Yeah, fourth, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> it was a fourth quarter from hell. Mm-hmm. App State puts up 338 yards, scores 40 points. I was at Kid Brewer Stadium. I was on the sideline, on UNC sideline, like towards the end zone. That fourth quarter lasted, I, I checked my phone. That fourth quarter lasted an hour and a half. It got about 20 degrees hotter during that time. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, this, this implosion cannot be happening. The entire time I was like, 
when uh, they missed the first two point, I was like, okay, let me go to the press box so I could start getting ready for air conditioning. The, so I go the, get ready for air conditioning. Yeah. So I can people, start people getting... don't understand how hot it gets in Boone, especially yeah. in that stadium in the summertime. Mm-hmm. I yeah. remember in high school, we had a team camp up there and it was like cramp city. Like every one of us was like full body cramps every day. Like it was shockingly hot. And this was yeah. like in June. This is like June 2004 or something like that or 2003. Yeah, they it gets mi- crazy hot up there. Yeah, they missed the first two point. And I was like, all right, let me let me go inside. Let me start getting ready for whatever I have to do for the post game. Then as I'm walking, I see Bryson Nesbitt return the kick, and I'm like, I have to stay out here because the app is scoring. The app mm-hmm. is 1,000% scoring. They score, and I'm like, okay, they're going to get the two-point conversion. But Noah Taylor holds on to Chase Bryce for dear life, and Kamon Rucker comes from the other end to, to kind of clean it up. But, Mike, I thought the positive for the Carolina offense, outside of Drake May, you're without your best player in Josh Downs, doesn't play uh, – injured lower body injury and you're watching the Tar Heels out there it's May it's George Pedaway it's Caleb Hood who had a, a huge breakout who game always seems to play well no matter when we put him in the game yeah and he has for a couple of years it, the sneaky play of the game was the Caleb Hood like uh I think it was like a third and 11 he catches it like two yards spins out of uh, the would-be tackler keeps the drive going I think that was when Carolina was down 21-7 so if, if they get stopped there, it, it could be curtains kind of for that team. You have somebody like Kobe Pesor who replaces Josh Downs, Bryson Nesbitt, J.J. Jones, uh, Gavin Blackwell. A lot of those players coming into this year, we really didn't know what Carolina had. And it's looking like you're getting a youth movement on on the offensive side of the ball that that just keeps producing. So how encouraging is that for you to see? Well, it's encouraging because we didn't have it last year. You know, when we were when we had guys go down when we had primary options go down, we didn't have much there. Um, when Josh Downs wasn't in the game, there really wasn't anybody else that was getting separation and making plays, unfortunately. That was just the reality of it, and our offense really struggled because of it. We know we didn't have the same running game, obviously, last year, so we really had to be pass-heavy, and we just didn't have, for whatever reason, we just didn't seem to have pieces that were meshing in a way that created um, opportunities for Sam Howell to make big plays and for the offense to really put up the kind of points we had grown accustomed to seeing. I think we now have that. Um, we have multiple options. You know, an injury here, an injury there may not be the death knell for the offense that week um, versus last year, Josh Downs goes goes down. Shut okay. it down. It's curtains for, the, like you said, it's curtains for that offense for that mm-hmm. week. Um, just shut it down. You know, it's going to have to be a defensive slugfest, which, you know, history tells us. We don't want that. You know, we don't want that. We, we haven't wanted that for about 10 years. So, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's points or loss is, is what we're looking at. And I think we have an offense now where you don't have to ne- – we don't necessarily have to worry about the offense much anymore, This you know, at least for this season. That's what – you know, that's shades of Javante and Michael Carter, you know, those teams. We're talking 20, the 2019 team, right? You didn't really need to worry about the offense. You weren't super concerned with them. The 2020 team, you weren't super concerned with that offense. Um, you knew they were going to put up some points. Last year was a different animal. I'm hoping we're sort of back to historically, at least historically under Mac Brown, you know, we can, you know, we have an offense we can rely on. We have special teams that are good enough, you know, and then it's just kind of, we're going to go as the defense goes. Yeah. The, the three players from that group that I wanted to, that I made a note to make sure um, that I shout out was um, it was Kobe Pesor, um who enters the game, replacing Josh Downs one catch in his career 
uh, for seven yards going into the game. He's Carolina's leading receiver, eight receptions for 92 yards. Caleb Hood, I mentioned, and you mentioned, Mike, he's a guy that when, when he's healthy and out there, he's a guy that always kind of produces and somebody that he knows some uh, Hampton's coming, Petaway's coming, and Hood is looking like a guy that can compete and go toe-to-toe with those guys, four carries in the backfield. And then somebody like DJ Jones, who all the running backs I just mentioned, it, it's kind of clear that those are going to be the guys from a – a um, backfield running perspective, but he comes in. He when when Carolina was struggling to move the ball late, it was because of the running backs in, in pass protection. You look at Pro Football Focus's grades from uh, I think it was Petaway and Caleb Hood. Their their pass blocking grades, they're not good, <laughs> borderline non-existent. Um, and you have somebody like DJ Jones who you can put back in there. Uh, the one play that I'm thinking about. Uh, Drake May knows a free rusher's coming and he he just basically just knows where DJ Jones is going to be downfield. DJ Jones catches it, puts Carolina up 56-49. Carolina doesn't trail from that point even even I though think, I did we have two touchdowns on two cover zero all out blitzes from them? Yeah, that was but, cover zero. Yeah. So we burned App State twice on cover zero, which if you you you're always gonna have somebody free or somebody's free on cover zero. Um when team when defenses run it, and if you can if you can exploit that, now we've exploited it twice. That's the kind of thing that you keep putting that stuff on film. You'll stop seeing it. There's a yeah. reason they were putting it on film is because last year some teams ran cover zero against us and just crushed us. I mean, they're just running the old school LSU cover zero all out. Like teams just saw it, they put it on film every week. It was working against us. We just kept seeing it. Sam was getting crushed. Our offensive line was getting crushed. Our offensive line is doing a good job of picking picking up their assignments and leaving just the one or two free rushers that are there by design. There's always going to be a free rusher by design and a cover zero. You just don't have the bodies to pick everybody up. But if you can exploit it the way that we did, and I think it was at least for one touchdown, it might have been for two touchdowns yesterday. Yeah, I, I know for a fact they hit cut it, that stuff out real quick. Yeah, they hit Bryson Nesbitt on, on one. I don't know if it went for a touchdown, but – I, th- I think that kind of does speak to Drake may one to be able to identify when you're going to get a cover zero look and mm-hmm. you're going to have a free rusher. And two, it's tough to stand in that pocket knowing that you're about to take a hit. Uh, I think you kind of saw that the, the first app state two point conversion where chase Bryce knows defenders are coming and he rushes the throw. And it's the only reason we're, we're not sitting here talking about a loss probably at this point was was that small difference between having a quarterback like Drake May and then having a quarterback um, like Chase Bryce. Um, but, Mike, if, if there is a question mark on, on that unit still, it, it's probably the offensive line that will be challenged when UNC gets to Notre Dame and mm-hmm. gets to uh, the better defenses in conference play. They gave up two sacks five hurries and eight pressures, according to pro football focus, but that came exclusively from Spencer Rowland and Ed Montalus. Then UNC rushes for uh, six yards per carry. A, lo- a lot of big plays in the running game. George Petaway had a big shot. Caleb, uh, Caleb Hood had like a 71 yard rush yeah. as our resident O-line expert. <laughs> how would you break down the, the offensive line play? Uh, from a pass protection standpoint, our tackles are good and our center is real good. Like, they're playing much better. Austin Richards is playing night and day from what he was playing last year. Um, uh, Roland's a kid from Harvard playing right tackle. Yeah. Pass protection, he looks pretty good for the most part, despite, despite what you just read off on the whole. He's, he's playing pretty good. He's, he's, he's a good right tackle for us. 
Um, and our center, the kid from Miami, uh, kid, kid can play. Um, you know, he made a couple of mistakes yesterday on the snap. Um, but in terms of actual physical ability, I think all three of those guys are playing really well. And we know that Ed Monolis can play. Like, we, we just we, – we know that. But the um, my, my concern last year with our offensive line was interior pressure. Um, you know, that's the quickest way to the quarterback is through the defensive tackles and the guards. Um, that's just – it's the shortest distance. And that's where Sam was getting the bulk of his pressure last year. We were running, they were running basic twists inside. And we were getting beat on that stuff. We are passing that stuff off a whole lot better. And I actually watched that specifically yesterday. I saw us pass off a couple of twists for big gainers. Um, you know, that it looked like we were about to get beat. And I saw the guards recover really well on some of those twists inside um, and actually shut that stuff down pretty well. So if we're looking for positives, I think in pass protection, our pass protection is just is so much better than it was last year. It's not perfect, obviously. I mean, you don't give up sacks, you don't give up hurries, you don't give up hits if you're doing things perfectly. But like I said, if you're talking, what would you say? You said we had five hits, eight pressures, three sacks. So that's 13, that's, that's 15, 15 times Drake, Drake May was contacted or nearly contacted in the pass game, and we threw the ball 40 times. Yeah. Okay, so 25 times it all worked out. You know, you start cutting that down every single week and you get it down to, you know, very few hurries, very few pressures. You know, sacks are not people, you know, unless you're going to have six or seven sacks, six or seven sacks says you got a real problem. One to two sacks in a game does not necessarily, is not indicative of an offensive line issue. What you really need to look for is pressures and hurries. That's really, and hits. That's really what you need to pay attention to, to know if your offensive line's having a hard time in pass protection. We have improved in that area. Eight eight hurries, five hits. So 13 total dropbacks resulting in some sort of disruption in the backfield with the quarterback because of the offensive line. That is less than we were getting most games last year. Yeah. That doesn't sound great, but that's an improvement. And we're talking two games in the biggest jumps you make as an individual player. We talked about this last week. We've talked about it for years on this podcast is between games one and two. And then there's also a small, more, a smaller, but incremental jump between weeks two and three. And right around week four, week five, you know who you're going to be as a player that season. You've basically worked out the early season kinks. Um, you've gotten accustomed to game speed um, and your, you know, the skills and the fundamentals that you have, they are now being implemented at full speed. So by week four, we'll know the offensive line that we really have. Um, I will say that, you know, FAMU is a FAMU was a test. I think we played well against them, but app was the real test. I'd be, I'm, I'm excited to see what the jump is between this app game and Georgia state. And then I would still say that I think Georgia state isn't going to be the test that we needed to be early in the season. There might still be improvement happening between Georgia state and Notre Dame and the Notre Dame to Miami. So we might have a little bit of a lag here just because of the, slightly easier schedule that we're running early here in the season. Like we're not opening up with an LSU, you know, in Atlanta or uh, South Carolina in Charlotte, you know, or, a, you know, a big net or Georgia down in Atlanta. We're not opening up with a big marquee game against a huge power five opponent. Who's equally as skilled, if not more than we are up front. Um, you'll see those jumps and you'll kind of know what you have sooner. I think because of the lag in terms of, easier schedule early on we may be going deeper into the season we might be looking at game five before we really know what we have on the offensive line but i would expect to see more improvement between this week and this coming weekend and then between georgia state and notre dame you'll still probably see a little bit of an improvement jump um and we'll know pretty soon what we have but it is it is better than we had last year in pass protection in terms of the run game it's the things i've always i've, I've been harping on beginning of this podcast last last week and even last year 
you know, in our gap scheme stuff, you know, we're having in the run game, we're having some issues in inside. We're having issues on back blocks. Um, guys are making plays off what should be the back block. Guys are making plays off of double teams. We're not being, we're not getting up on the second level, you know, and making a play in a double team is kind of like, yeah, EJ, I know Jason Staples talked to you about this, what he saw from Javari Ritzy last week. Um, you know, him and I talked about it at length, but for a defensive lineman, you can make a play as a defensive tackle, as a three technique on a double team, even a defensive end, you know, if it's a, if it's tight end tackle, you know, double team up to the, up to a will linebacker, like in power or something, you can make the play by just getting skinny and eliminating surface area for that offensive lineman for that second offensive lineman in the double team to actually get his hands on and be able to root you out. If you just, if you're able to get skinny, eliminate surface area and keep those two offensive linemen occupied and off of that second level, you've made a play as a defensive lineman in that double team. I, I still see a lot of that happening to our offensive line. I see defensive lines preventing us, defensive line men preventing us between FAMU and now App State from getting up on the second level, which is affecting our gap scheme plays. I think in our zone, our zone running concepts, I think we're actually playing pretty well. Um, we seem to get that, but our gap schemes, our gap scheme stuff, which continues to me to appear to be bread and butter of this offense. It's where Phil Longo wants to go. It's the identity they want to have in running the ball, that power downhill four or five yards, you know, four or five yards, four or five yards, four or five yards, break one for 60, 70 yards. Like you saw with, with hood, um, that's the identity I think they want to have in the running game. And if that's the case, they're going to have to really fix that gap, those gap scheme fundamentals. Um, and it's all happening on the inside. It's not, it's, it's not your, it's not your single blocks on the outside. Um, and really when they're getting to the second level, they're doing an okay job. Once they get there, the problem is they're not getting there enough. Yeah. The, the blocking grades from pro football focus back up everything you basically just said. Uh, Carolina is significantly better in, in pass blocking than they are in run blocking, you have an offensive line essentially played the entire game. Awesome Richards, um, Ed Montalis, Corey Gaynor, William Barnes all played 73 snaps. Spencer Rowland played 69 snaps, got hurt late. Mm-hmm. Adorno comes in at right guard. You, you kick uh, Barnes, Barnes out to right tackle, out yeah. to right tackle. Um, and then you have, in, in terms of, they were all pretty average run block grades, not good, not great. I mean, not bad, not good. Um, but then pass blocking, you have Awesome Richards, 86.8, elite mm-hmm. grade. William mm-hmm. Barnes, 85.5, good grade. Corey Gaynor, 83.0, uh, really good grade still. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a it, center, that's a really good grade. I mean, yeah. folks need to understand like centers, it's <laughs> centers, you don't do a lot. You have a lot of help. You got help, from, you know, you got help from both guards typically. Pass protection is usually easier at the center spot, but once in a while you're one on one, and that's hard. as as a center so if he's got an 83 grade that's actually pretty good for a center yeah and ej the one of the biggest things i learned from from playing football is that you you never want to make a a blanket statement like the entire defense was bad because it's it's unfair to the players that did play well you you look at pro football focuses grades uh ray vahasic grades out as carolina's best defender he gets they couldn't block him man he gets a really good grade 82.0 he was um, like crazy. Yeah, 82.0, great grade for him. Noah Taylor has his moments, plays with a high motor, came on Rucker's motor on his sack and on the second two-point play, uh, tracking animal. it I, down. I don't, I don't know. I mean, he does, he does everything right. He needs to be on the field more. Yeah, yeah he needs to be a starter. Yeah, and I, I, I really don't like to be the person who's like, 
you know, you have to play football to, to kind of understand what's going on. Um, because I think, I, I think there's a ton of people who didn't play football that can see the game in, in ways that, you know, some people don't, but the, the Carolina fans who are like, we need to play Rave Hasek less to play some of these young guys. No, no. Rave Hasek is the best defender on this Carolina team, right? It has been, and has been, I think, since Chaz left. And and and, and that, that's if you want to talk about a bold blanket statement, Rave Hasek is the heart and soul of our defense. There's a reason why I refer to him as Rave or Havoc. The guy, I mean, and, and, and I'll take it even a step further. I mean, I follow the guy on Instagram, and you never see him post anything about himself. But as soon as something happens for his teammates, it is all over his social media. So I mean, and that, that's one like that right there kind of tells you who this guy is. That guy's not out there. I mean, I saw one pass rush play yesterday, and I was like, I don't know who this guy is or where this has been, but just his ability to kind of convert from from the run to the pass, he's playing the run on the way to the quarterback because he's basically sitting in the center or the guard or whoever in the running back's lap every time the play is happening. No, you don't. You 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 don't put the other guys on the field. In, in place of him, you put the other guys on the field with him because he's going to take up two, sometimes three blockers, and that allows those athletic guys to just run around and play football. He's making the defense so much easier for everyone else that if he wasn't on the field, I don't think we win that game yesterday because a lot of those plays that 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 could have been long gainers, maybe he didn't make the tackle, but he stopped a, a five-yard play yeah. from becoming a 15-yard play down the middle of the field. So I do think that – with, with deep with line play, like Mike kind of alluded to earlier, I mean, unless you really, really have, have been around the game, and I won't even say play, I'll say been around the game to appreciate some of the the kind of the, the B-roll who – the B-roll, it'd be a B-level player to or B-level actor to anyone outside of the game. But if you really watch the game, you know that the offensive linemen and the defensive linemen are kind of what make the offense and the defense go. So – None of some of these things just, I mean, you're not seeing the Cedric Gray and Power Echoes get to run around and use their athleticism the way they do if Ray isn't keeping them clean. Yeah. So, no, I don't, I don't, if, if, if I'm having a con, I'm not a rude person, but if I'm having a conversation with someone and they say Ray needs to play less, then that conversation's over. <laughs> yeah. This the, is a Hassock's America now, boy. <laughs> the, the Carolina defense is waking up today looking for a lot of answers and i can promise you the one answer isn't going to be play rave a less not at all not at, not all. at all not unless you want to double up that 60 when we play notre dame <laughs> and uh this question's for is, is, for is ray is ray a 60 year senior now he's got to be so yeah. he's one of the few guys i've seen there's there's a lot of 60 year players you see around the country and i don't see them increasing their draft stock through two games, Ray has increased his draft stock, which I think was decently high mm-hmm. considering where he came from, right? Yeah. The fact that he had draft stock in the first place, given that you know he was a he was a relatively unknown guy, completely unknown guy when he first took the field a couple of years ago. He he's using his sixth year to actually increase his draft stock and make himself some money. I hope he keeps it up because mm-hmm. you know, this is where like someone who's taking advantage of having a a, a Chaco's year, <laughs> shout out to Chaco's. Chaco's year in college, like really taking advantage of it and making himself, um, making himself potentially a pretty special future, at least in the short term. Yeah, he he's listed as a grad student, and this is already his his fourth year at Carolina after he's after be a professor by the time the season. Yeah, after right. transferring in, <laughs> listed as professor of <laughs> 
but this question this is the last question and it's for both of you mike you could you could answer it first but mac brown always talks about how it's easier to get coached harder when you win a game because the mood in in the keenan football center it's a lot more positive and you can be a lot more tougher uh you could be more tough on, on these players is that something you noticed from your playing days that it was easier to to be coached harder when you when you won and you were feeling better yeah i mean i'm a yeah in a general sense sure i mean me personally like i'm a I'm a, you know, thrill of victory, agony of defeat. I'm an agony of defeat guy. Like I don't, I don't, I I consider winning, like that's what you're supposed to do. I never got too excited about winning. It's when we lost that I really, you know, losing was, was far worse to me than winning was joyful to me, if that makes any sense. Um, So I, you know, I being coach, I expected criticism and wanted criticism no matter what Um, me, me personally. um, But I, I will say that, when you win, you're watching the film, knowing this ultimately ends in something good. Even if you're do, even if you do a couple of bad things on film, you know it doesn't affect the outcome of the win in the end. Whereas in a loss, it's like, well, did I cause it? Like, was this the thing that did it, or was this the thing that contributed to the slide that ultimately did it? Um, so you're constantly questioning yourself watching that film, you know, after a loss. So there is some truth to that. I think it's you know the the mood is better. I mean, just psychologically, of course, he's right it's easier to take harder coaching after a win. Um, I think the difference is, do you want the harder coaching all the time, win or loss? Um, and I don't know what this team's makeup is, but I, I will say that, you know, they offensively, they grinded out a 60, a two point win and they had to score 63 points to do it. I mean, both teams covered the over by themselves. They could have yeah. shut the other team out and still and covered, covered the, the over in the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, this was the easiest game. If you if you, if you were a better and you were taking the over, this was the most comfortable game you've ever had. I mean, you just could have sat back and cracked you know cracked open a beer and just enjoyed it for the first time maybe ever. Um, the offense grinded out a hard win. Like they had like you literally had to score over sixty points to win this game, and they figured out a way to do it. Had some help from Nesbitt on special teams, but they still found a way to do it. Um, that should make you feel good. You know, you'll it'll it should make the criticism hit a little less, you know, a little weaker. Um, it shouldn't the criticism shouldn't hit you as hard, knowing you just put in the work to grind that out on the road. True, a true road win. Uh, Charles Ar- Charles Arbuckle kept talking. He was a friend of mine. Kept talking through the um, through the through the broadcast. He was one of the commentators about how this was, you know, assuming it was going to be a win, the first true road win for Carolina in quite some time. Yeah. Um, offense should feel good about that because it really, they really did carry it. Um, it, 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 it should make the film study a little bit easier, even with some of the mistakes. Yeah. It was the last road win for Carolina since the Javante Williams, Michael Carter game down in Miami, down in Miami. Yep. It's, it's been that long for Carolina EJ. It, it's a defense that probably feels like they let the team down yesterday or Saturday when people are listening to this, it, it's a defense that felt probably helpless at times going up against App State. But from your playing experience, do you think now the player it now that it is easier for the players to get coached hard, seeing that at the end of the day, Carolina went back to Chapel Hill and the perfect record still intact? 
I don't think that it's going to be comfortable at all, whether this was a win or a loss because of some of the mistakes that they made. It's easy to go in when it's a lot easier to go in when, when, when the mistake that you're making is, Oh, Oh, I may have missed this one tackle, or I may not have pressed this gap the way I was supposed to, or I may not have worked my technique off, or I may didn't counter on this pass rush move and allow them to have too much time. That's a little bit different to when you're looking at film and saying, oh my God, look at that late hit, or look at look, look at me being out of position, look at me with and miss this tackle, look at me getting reached on this block. I mean, because they're going to be getting coached up on the things that they've been getting coached up on since they play begin to play football. So it's a little bit tough. I mean, I mean, when, when you talk about games like like some of the heartbreaks that we had last season, where we really put together some defensive efforts, win, lose, or draw, those are going to be. You, you walk into the film study room with an even kill. You, you you take your bumps and bruises from the coaching staff. You learn from it. You move on. Uh, that was always my attitude. Win, lose, or draw was just to try to have an even kill about it. To try to go in and say, okay, there's some things I can improve upon and and take away whether whether I won or I lost because I don't want to give myself an excuse. Um, you don't want to like like Mike said. Like there's a lot more pain in losing than there is thrill and I guess winning. And I think that's probably one, our makeup, and two, is just kind of being a student of the game. When you watch as much film as, as I did, and I mean, I always felt like I had a chip on my shoulder, so I had to be the smartest guy out there to play on the field because there were going to be some guys who were going to be physically more talented than I was. So I took that film study personally, and, and that was kind of my time to improve. I mean, I've done everything all summer to get my body together. Now it's time to get my mind right, get my technique right. So win, lose, or draw, I always went, in, went into the film study thinking that I had something to, to, to learn. I wanted my coaches to coach me hard. No, no matter what it was, I wanted to have that level of consistency. So it didn't feel like they were piling on me when things were bad. And I didn't want them to not tell me what I needed to hear when things were going good. So, but yeah, th th this group's not going to have a fun time in film study. I love a point you made where after the game yesterday, I see Mac Brown dancing in the locker room and I'm like, man, I, I really miss football. I, I really miss the atmosphere of being around all the guys, but I'm not jealous of the defensive players in the film room on Sunday. Mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> Those guys were out of that video. They were in the back getting their IVs and gay. They were on the bus already. Exactly. Yeah. They were already <laughs> eating their Bojangles or Dominoes or whatever they're giving the guys now, man. It was. <laughs> It was, it, it, those are one of those ones where I, I'm going straight to class and back until the next game. Like, and that, that really were situations like that. I remember we played Clemson my freshman year. We lost 63 to nine. And I don't think anyone saw me on campus that wasn't in my class. They didn't have a class with me for like a week, man. Yeah. It's such a contrast between the offense and the defensive players, how, how they're probably feeling today. I, I was joking with, um, the basketball player Justin Jackson because he was close with Luke May and how after Luke May hit the shot against Kentucky everybody was tweeting pictures of Luke May showing up to his class at 8 a.m and we were saying Labor Day tomorrow Drake May might just show up to an 8 a.m class and even if he's not in the class Drake uh, Drake May is going to show up just just to get some applause I would. Uh, and it's uh, a, a stark contrast between how him and the defensive players are feeling today but that's all we had. I was watching the Arkansas game. Yeah. What a good good day of college football yesterday, too. If yeah. you watch any of those games yesterday, that was a lot of good games, including ours. I mean, just wild games. I was watching the Arkansas game. Look, I'm not saying Jacoby Criswell is going to transfer. I'm not saying he's doing nothing. But I, I would think that if he left, he'd want to go back home to Arkansas and play with Sam Pittman in Arkansas. If that were to happen, 
we really need to have a conversation with Sam Pittman about what's going on in that quarterback room. Because I saw Malik Hornsby, Cade Fortin on that roster already. If you added Jacoby Criswell there, I mean, that's basically UNC's quarterback room or would-be quarterback room for the last five years. And they're down there in, in, in Arkansas. Like, what's going on down there? Did we you both know that? We both know Coach Pittman well, and we know the type of charisma that guy has, man. He you, is, you, <laughs> he's raiding Chapel Hill. He's scouting. Like, he's scouting the <laughs> UNC rooms. I, I saw Cade Fortin. I was like, is that Cade? I saw Fortin on the back of a jersey and a number 10. I'm like, is that Cade Fortin? And then the camera panned on his face like, that's Cade Fortin, who, by the way, I thought was always a pretty good player. I mean, yeah. he, he showed me some stuff. The way we feel towards Arkansas is how Ohio State feels towards us, where all the players that want to leave Ohio State, Antonio Williams, uh, the defensive lineman, I'm, he's, his name's escaping me right now, Cohen, I think. Uh, Legend Cavazos. If if you can't make it at Ohio State, come on down to Chapel. Or if Hill. you know a Ruggles and you couldn't make it at Carolina, you go to Ohio State. You go the opposite. <laughs> yeah, and become a star. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you you mentioned that because I before we end this podcast, I I want to do shout out uh, Noah Burnett. That was not a a talked about storyline coming out of training camp that Carolina was going into the season with a new kicker and for you you watch the the ecu game and you could see how quickly Ooh. a kicker can have nightmare scenarios and and that kid at ecu's got a at leg. Home. I mean, he can play and, yeah he has a leg and they're at home noah burnett goes on the road in boone he knocks down his first field goal attempt 47 uh plenty of leg on it straight down the middle and then he comes in again 41 uh from 41 um but uh, i'm glad i I'm glad we we did get the the Noah Burnett mentioned because I, I also wanted to make a note of that. But that's all we have for this week. Saturday, Carolina plays Georgia State in Atlanta. It's a 12 p.m. game um, on ESPNU. It's the second of back-to-back road games against the Sun Belt. Carolina looking to clinch, to clinch their the share. Yeah clinch their share of the regular season Sunbelt title. Guys, it, it was a pleasure today and appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening. For sure. Yep. Good to see you guys.